Have you ever questioned your belonging? This week, I'm joined by George Gantz to reflect on our intrinsic value. You go from this little exercise of intrinsic and instrumental, you know, take it all away, as with any journey, spiritual journey, you take it all the way, and now you're talking about your relationship with God and God's relationship with you, and what a wonderful thing that can be. A writer and philosopher, George serves on the board of Long Now Boston, is a fellow of the RSA US, and is a member of the Swedenborg Foundation. Together, we tap into a cosmic, spiritual, and tangible sense of our innate belonging. We are ephemeral in the sense that we are simply a lifetime's physical collection of these very disparate parts of the universe in a way that is able to act, able to sense itself, able to self-repair, able to create meaning, feel love, participate in the, you know, that's pretty remarkable. Today, I'm discussing an article which appeared on our website, Swedenborg.com, entitled Instrumental Value versus Intrinsic Value, What Do We Choose? And to share in that discussion with me is none other than the author himself, writer and philosopher George Gantz. Welcome, George. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Chelsea. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited about talking with you today. Yes, I am really excited to speak with you and explore this subject. And first, though, just a little background. You run the website spiralinquiry.org, and that's where this article actually first appeared. And so I'd love to know what brought you to creating spiralinquiry.org. Well, that's, uh, you know, that's a good question. I, I've, I've gone through... I'm, 70, I've gone through a number of kind of cycles in life, spirals. And uh, what I found in uh, pursuing particularly findings in complexity science, Mm -hmm. that uh, everything seems to operate, it's always in motion, and things operate in ways that can be described as spirals. And in fact, there's a great connection to Swedenborg's uh, scientific work in, in the Principia, where he talks about the fundamental structure of the universe mm. and every, everything is in, operates in gyres, which you know, was a time right. from, from his, his time. And uh, this is a particularly appropriate metaphor, I think. My wife and I have talked about this, uh, that you know, life is like, you know, you're moving around and you'll come up with a hard issue, something difficult. And first time around, you're liable to mess it up mm-hmm. or ignore it or something. Well, it's going to come back around again. And so now hopefully you've moved a bit. You're not at the same stuck place you were and you can deal yeah. with it differently. So so that's kind of like an upward uh, spiral. And, you know, I know that's an image, too, that that uh, off the left eye has, has uh, you know, brought in as well. So I think it's a, a powerful image about uh, movement in a lot of different uh, ways and also spiritual spiritual growth where we're trying to get to. Oh, I love that. Well, I encourage our listeners to go check out spiralinquiry.org because you have a number of really fascinating articles there that you do share uh, your reflections on your own spiraling journey. And uh, I always find them to be fascinating and thought-provoking. 
And so in this article that we're discussing today, you explore the depths of our relationships with the world around us. And you open the piece, just giving people a little overview, you open the piece by introducing and defining these concepts of instrumental value and intrinsic value. And now you'll get to see, you know, how well I studied this article you wrote, (laughs) that instrumental value is basically what we get from our relationship with a thing. You know, it's the back and forth, I do this for you, you do that for me. Whereas intrinsic value is the value of a person or a thing that's really independent of its explicit function. Uh, And maybe before I go on, do you have anything more to say about intrinsic value? Because we're going to sort of dig into that more here. Yeah, yeah. you you have that right. I I think the word instrumental comes from the word instrument. So mm-hmm. that's the idea of something is is a, is a tool. It's it's a it's right. an instrument. It's something that you're using for some other purpose. So it it really doesn't have a value in itself. It's just a, a thing that's useful for something else. And right. the intrinsic value is uh, a way of saying, well, hold on a minute. What about the thing in itself? And nice. uh, you know, a good example. You know, a hammer is an instrumental. It's a tool, but you, you've seen craftsmen create hammers that reflect an artistic, you know, sensibility, you know, the shape of it, oh, the wood, the yes, feel of the hand. Yes, so in that yes, sense, there's a, there's, there's a way of thinking of it as, as an intrinsic, an object with some intrinsic value as well. Mm, I love that. And it's interesting to think about how we really do have instrumental value and intrinsic value, these two things in play in us and in the world all the time. And mm. you describe how really our default often is toward instrumental value, to be evaluating things for like, what can it do for me? Or, you know, what am I going to get out of this? But you encourage us to lift up our thoughts to being attuned to that intrinsic value, the intrinsic value of things. And that really there's a whole sort of world of insight and uh, way of being that can be elevated when you think about the intrinsic value of things. And I love that example of the hammer you gave. I wonder, because that's one of the tricky things is like, well, how do you determine something's intrinsic value? And you acknowledge that that can be really difficult to sort of pin down, but you offer this interesting way of getting a sense of it. And that is through reflecting on our interconnectedness, the interconnectedness of everything in the world. And so in short, this is me like paraphrasing what you're saying, that it's our interconnectedness with all things that gives us and everything intrinsic value. Or at least that's one way, I guess, to, yeah, to it's get a, at it's some a way, things intrinsic it's, it's value. Kind of, beyond contemplating, you know, an individual relationship with either a person or a thing. And, you know, in the context, is there some sort of an exchange like a quid pro quo or some, uh, well, yeah, I'm using this for something else. And, and, uh, you know, is that kind of the way you're dealing with it? Or is there something more about, you know, let's look at this relationship. It's two ways. It's reciprocal. It's, uh, you know, and and that that relationship 
you know, has a quality to it that is really something we ought to pay attention to and ought to value. And if you're mm. in a in a relationship that is valued, then then you're going to find or see value in the thing of the person on the other end of that relationship, you know. Yeah. And, and it's almost like, you know, well, I'm valuing myself. I, this other person is like me. I need to value that person the same way. I. So it's it's a way of contemplating that at the, you know, in an individual exchange, an individual relationship. Um, and I think <clears throat> I find that if I'm approaching relationships with that openness to that sense of two-way, a two-way process and something that, that uh, values the, you know, the other person, for example, for who, for who they are or the, or mm -hmm. the thing in itself. Um, it gives the exchange a whole different, you know, much, much deeper, richer, more rewarding um, than yeah. simply looking at something as, you know, well, what's it good for? Um, yeah. And I think you were going to the level of all right. Well, now let's 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 apply this contemplation broadly across the ways we're connected to things, to people, to you know, to history, to the future, yeah. all of these things that we're connected to, and it begins to get you know a little bit big, a little bit grand, and um, uh, you know, and you know, where does that go? That's good good way of thinking about it. Yeah. Well, that's what I found so fun to think about was because it's so easy to, for someone to question their own intrinsic value, you know, or like as much or, and then like you say, take advantage of somebody else for without valuing their intrinsic uh, value. And, and so I love anything that kind of gives us a way to, um, hook into a sense of like, look, without a doubt, you are here and valuable. And, you know, like you can say that, but then in this article and with bringing up the subject of all that sort of vast interconnectedness, it's sort of like, wow, well, that's really hard to actually argue with. Like that is really apparent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Valuing yourself is an interesting question because, um, yeah. You know the the whole self esteem movement from of the last twenty or thirty years. I don't know. It's been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, positive thinking. You know, a lot of that seemed to be directed at you know propping up your your own sense of worth by saying, "Well, I'm good at this. I'm good at this. I can do this." And uh, you know, and yeah, and so mm -hmm. you 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 do give rewards to all of the kids. You you know, you don't want to distinguish. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like a universal pat on the back. Everybody's going to getting pat <laughs> on the back for what you do, for what you accomplish, and for the nice thing you say. And that's very different than the sense of you know being able to be centered and having your sense of self, and then loving that because that's really what the value you know, valuing is a form of loving or loving is a form of valuing and if you yeah. love yourself you value yourself for for what you are in and of yourself for your intrinsic worth not for what it is that you can do or be yeah and i want to bring another <clears throat> word into that so you're saying you know valuing yourself becomes loving yourself in the most genuine way that we can and then but then also connecting to our sense of belonging that really when we have that's 
what was coming up for me was like intrinsic value is another way of saying you belong, you know, and it's so easy with what you're saying that we can default, or I know I often do and myself, like to measuring my belonging based on instrumental value in the world. Like I belong if I'm doing enough that other people depend on me or I'm, you know, accomplishing things in this very externally obvious way or all of those kinds of things. But, uh, but how it seems like spirit, you know, the divine really wants us to get and connect to a sense of how our belonging is a matter of our intrinsic value and that that's really so freeing and comforting Mm. and gives us the space to actually show up in the world, in this interconnected world, uh, in, I would think in just such a sort of thriving, empowering, empowered way. Oh, that's beautiful. I I hadn't really thought about the connection before, but, but you can't, uh, if you're in a relationship with something or someone or something, and you are, you are contemplating it in its intrinsic value, its intrinsic worth in a form you're sharing your love with it. And, mm-hmm. and it's reciprocating with, you know, with even if it's a thing, it's reciprocating with you. It's not a one way street. And so, yeah, when you are in a reciprocal relationship, you feel you belong. Yes. And that belonging, that belonging in a way, it's a reciprocation of your love that's going yes. outward. I really love that insight. Thank you. <laughs> I love it because now I'm already thinking of how that applies to the reciprocal partnership that is our connection to the divine. Yeah. And so the same, that belonging is at play there. Uh, that's really fun to think about. So, and just to give the listeners even a sense of this like vast interconnectedness that we're mentioning, you you give a number of examples in the article uh, and you mentioned some of them already, like history itself and the future, people, genetics, animals and i'd love to hear you talk about one or two of those but one that i'm going to bring up right away though is um because it's the most apparent to me it's like wow is the human microbiome and like if you've ever questioned your belonging and your interconnectedness in the world (laughs) then all you have to do is like put your hands on your own belly and remember or even touch your own skin because you are just covered in uh like technically we have more mass from our from the microbiome or something than... not, not more mass but more cells more cells there, there okay are, thank there you are more yeah. cell more microbiome cells uh, uh colonized in your body mostly in a symbiotic relationship that we're yeah. un- unaware of then we have cells on our own body so um yes. you know that's uh, pretty phenomenal and this was something that wasn't wasn't understood certainly by western science it was it was this was like baloney you know who, who could imagine that this yes. was the case because you know we were into sanitation you know we learned from pasteur that you know you can yeah. wash your hands and cover your mouth and you don't get sick but in fact we are colonized everywhere in the body in ways that we just did not understand so yeah, yeah that's a good example and um and now it's interesting that to look at, at what the bio, microbiome is like and what it constitutes and all this stuff, they're using techniques of DNA sequencing. So 
rather than trying to identify the thousands of species that are, that are inhabiting your body, yeah, they will they will look at the totality of the genetic material and from from a scan of all of the genes they can find from you know ground up material that's put into the machines from 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 a detailed analysis of that incredible detail they can start piecing together the story about uh, you know well how many different organisms and all the rest of the stuff yeah. but the interesting thing about that dna now here's another thread take the dna yes yeah, we are we are that's right. comprised of dna and our DNA is something that was given to us by our parents and to our parents by their parents and to their parents by their parents. So <clears throat> we share, we share, we're the same yeah. in something like 99.5% of the genetic material that we have in our bodies with, you know, with you and me and everybody, all the, all the other humans. Everyone, yes. And, and we have pieces of DNA from uh, Neanderthal humans, uh, you know, and now subspecies it's extinct. And we also have pieces of DNA that are shared in every other living organism on the face of mm. the earth. And that ultimately traces back, if you, if you uh, think about the way evolution has processed through, you, that traces back all the way to the very beginnings of life. So all of us share a trajectory back to the very beginning of life on Earth. That's, oh. that's pretty cool. So now when you think about that, how do you, <laughs> how do you think about, you know, this bacterial environment? Well, well, it, well, it gives you a different perspective about the fact that we are all connected. And most of those relationships yeah. are symbiotic, reciprocal relationships or positive relationships. Oh, I love that. And that we could be more awake to that and like live into or live from that sense of awareness of that interconnection that we have. And so really, right. you know, probably the thing, you know, in, in philosophical traditions, spiritual traditions, it seems like the main thing that causes problems in the world is when people think that they're separate and isolated. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, even on just the most material level, there is no way to pin down where you end and the rest of the world right. begins, you know, it's already in you and you're already connected to everybody. So it's like, uh, yeah. I have a great little yeah. anecdote. Uh, my wife and I have swung, sung in a gospel choir over the years and, and uh, it's a group of, you know, there are older people. It's, it's on audition, so it's big, 250 people on it. And uh, it's nice. hosted in a Unitarian church, uh, even though nobody, you know, it would have to be Unitarian to go. And yeah. many Unitarians are a little bit queasy about Jesus and things like that. And <clears throat> so one of these songs was about kind of the, the miracle of the Eucharist and the Holy Supper and, you know, drinking, you know, drinking the body of, you know, drinking from the <laughs> yes. blood of Christ. But so there was some little grumblings in the group. Blah, 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 blah. And so he said, look, this is a gospel song. This is about this issue. And if you want to think about it this way, think about it this way. You drink a glass of water and there is a, 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 a possibility, even some positive probability that mm. one, of, one of those molecules of water was in the body of Christ 2000 years ago. 
that's amazing. <laughs> so there's another, there's another connection. Okay, now think about the molecules yes. that are in the body. Yes. Where are those molecules coming from? And, and so you don't know, you don't know what you are sharing. Yeah. You know, what's the, what is, what is that, that history of that water molecule that's been, you know, traveling through the water cycle in the earth for, you know, generations and generations and generations. And, you know, what was its original history and how has it traced yeah. its way through the, the world? And then if you look at the carbon atoms in our body, the astrophysicists will tell you that all of the carbon on the face of the earth originated in supernovas elsewhere right. in the universe. So yes, yeah, we are we are stardust. That's the yes. that's what comes out. It, it actuality. It's not just a dream. It's an actuality yes. that the, we are stardust. Oh man, and I love uh, what you were saying was making me think of like the world. We are traversing through the world through our lifetime, but the world is traversing through us. You know, like we are, we get to these materials that have come together to constitute yourself for this short amount of time on this world are then going to dissolve and, you know, be given and support the creation of other things in the world. So it's like, what are you going to do while you get to be the caretaker of these molecules in this moment, you know, or like, and even to know that you you yourself are a gift to the world, even if you're, you know, just by existing. So. Oh, that's a good, that's great. Uh, I like that uh, idea that we're, it's like the breath, you know, yeah. we're, we're breathing in the history of the world and mm -hmm. then we're breathing out the history of ourselves and yes. sharing, sharing that with the world at large. So it's a, it really, you know, you follow this idea. It's a very powerful way of sensing and feeling and, and becoming very viscerally involved in that connection with, um, with all of life and with, with everybody yeah. else. And that what you do now matters. You get to be the stitch, this, you know, stitch in time. And that's yeah, it's a choice true. about how you, yeah. um, uh, and, and it's, it's just uh, my mind is spinning off on another concept of, again of, of of spirals that the the complex interactions of these molecules that come into the body and you know and leave the body you know end up being captured in uh, uh, orderly structures of a certain type you know organs and cells and stuff like that and that whole process is a complex dynamic systems process that uh you have to think about it in terms of the spirals and yeah. um and that uh you know that's a yeah I, I can't even put the i can't put some words around it it's this the sense of this it it come it's it's ephemeral there we go we are ephemeral in the sense that we are simply a a a, a lifetimes uh physical collection of these very disparate parts of the universe in a way that is that is able to act able to sense itself uh able to self-repair um yeah. able to able to create meaning feel love participate in the you know 
that's pretty remarkable. That's a really, it's really very, cool image. Very cool. Yeah. It's making me very excited about just being alive <laughs> and existing. Yeah, it makes it. It makes it like holy cow! What a miracle! I yes, mean, uh, what a miracle! Yeah, yeah, you think about that in terms of the what's going on in a given cell, where there are these you know molecules are being transferred across cell boundaries and into the bloodstream and you know out the bloodstream and you know and and Ugh. and how that how that how does that possibly you know the details of how that work is is just immense and then we have you know hundreds of billions of cells in the body and replicating themselves and continuing to keep us alive and well for the you know for the years that we're here it's it's just beautiful it is and so i was struck by how this whole thought and meditation contemplation on instrumental value and intrinsic value can really be a powerful tool for a reflective practice and i wonder if like what is an example in your life of a time when you noticed that you were operating in in either one or when you made the conscious choice to shift from you know maybe noticing that you're evaluating something instrumentally and you consciously shifted to wanting to think about it as from its intrinsic value um yeah one example that um it was was true in my life in my uh in my career in uh, a business i worked for a company that uh, was relatively small as a utility distribution company and um we went through a period of time when you know the leadership was really poor and <clears throat> things weren't going well and it was an unhappy place and <laughs> and i remember um again in conversation with my wife realizing that as bad as this was it was providing me with a very very useful um flexibility in terms of my daily life my my kids were mm. both uh, in school some of them had you know were having learning problems it required time to go to meetings and stuff like that i had the flexibility to do that it was bringing me an income that was sufficient to meet the requirements that I had. So its instrumental values yeah. were were Im so important for the for the what it allowed me to do that uh, I kind of had to make the choice to stick with it in through this very very difficult time. Um, and then this is you know the way synchronicity or serendipity works um, yeah. uh, the company went through a transition board brought in a brand new boss last 15 years of my career were just a much much happier place oh, and it wow. had that yeah. it had that intrinsic satisfaction of working with a group of people that that you know, really did love each other we're working working together so oh. so that was an example of uh, having to having to make a choice in favor of the instrumental value of something rather than saying, well, you know, this, this stinks. So I'm going to go do something else that's more intrinsically satisfying. Yes. Right. But again, that, that measure of intrinsically satisfying is, in a, in a sense, in that sense is really self-motivated, not, so it's, it's instrumental, not, not really intrinsic. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but there is value in, in work that you feel is doing right. something useful. Right. That right. It is a value. It's yeah. it's valuable yeah. and that's great. I was reflecting on this question uh 
for myself, sort of using it as a as a thing to hold in my mind as I went about my day to day. And I uh, sort of in a t- in anticipation of this interview, and I found that um, that I was noticing that that I felt more stressed out about certain relationships in my life, or I mean, I was feeling stress around a relationship in my life, and then, but this thought occurred to me that I was really focused so much on the on the sort of instrumental dynamic going on in the relationship that then when I realized that I that might sort of still be the case but I could sort of see it from this larger right. perspective of right. of the intrinsic value and that really kind of like <sighs> kind of lifted lifted a burden and yeah. Help me to hold the instrumentality piece just a little more lightly. Yeah, uh, yeah, oh, that's great. And and actually, uh, 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 my wife is taking some courses that I'm really, really benefiting from about how the <clears throat> the body and the mind, you know, uh, work together in these exchanges in conflict mm. when you're dealing with conflict. And you know, the body has its own set of answers, and that is yes. uh, that is uh, you know, cortisol, adrenaline, you know, the yeah. things that that energize you for a situation that has some challenge and you then either you know you can run away or you can fight you know that's kind of yes, a right. t- typical yes, way classic. of thinking yes. about it classic way of thinking about it but um the body has to then deal with those kinds of those kinds of energies and if you're if you're aware of that it allows you maybe to give that time for things to settle out and mm. I, I and when you are in that that energized mode of fight flight whatever you want to call it you're pretty instrumental you're you're instrumentally yes. focused because it it's does true. come it does come from the biologic biological drivers that say okay i got to do something here i'm you know yes. i might, might be eaten by the whatever it is so you are instrumentally focused and in order to gain perspective you need to let that let those waters and that cascade of hormones, yes. you know, slow down a little bit, and then you could start looking for those points of commonality. And this is where, mm-hmm. okay, I uh, sometimes you need to provoke a conflict because you know you know there's something that's late to be addressed. That's been or, there, yep. got to mm-hmm. be addressed. It's come back the spiral too many times. <laughs> right, right. Got to deal with it. <laughs> We're not not so ignoring it anymore. So sometimes you yeah. need to you need to prov- provoke something. But trying to maintain, or I'm provoking because this is the pathway to a better relationship that has cleared the air, that has has cleared that friction, has been able. So, yeah. so that's a uh, way of trying to skip over that. You know, the body's response, which is pretty viscerally instrumental, to yeah. a, to a space where you're really looking at something that's beyond this. That's, you know, there's intrinsic value in the relationship. So I'm going to risk. Yeah. I'm going to risk this conflict. Oh, I love that. And I think this gets to the issue of sort of intrinsic motivation versus instrumental types of motivation. You mm-hmm. know, if, if a student is is really working hard to get a good grade because they want to get a good grade, well, that's instrumental. And how much is that worth? And that's like, you know, you cram for an exam and the day after the yes. exam, it's all gone. Okay, you got yes. a good grade, but what good was it? But if you if you are invested in the in the learning process for itself, and then and getting a good grade is simply a an acknowledgement of what was invested, 
So it feels satisfying, but it's not. You're not doing it for the grade. You're doing it for the yes. knowledge that you're trying to gain and the intrinsic value of that. So that also is a is a sometimes very subtle way. You know, we all engage in certain activities because you know we feel it's going to get us something or it's better. But at the same time, if we can find find a way to tap into the the you know the the joy, beauty, wonderful aspects of something in and of itself. Then you're getting you're getting much more out of the out of the exchange than you would if it's just one way. Yes, and I it makes me think of how we, uh, you know, Swedenborg writes about this idea of like real love or the love that angels live in and experience is this sense of like wanting to give and love others without any expectation of getting something in return. You know, it really is that. Uh, I could use the word altruism, but like there's no instrumentality. It's just like I'm loving you for the sake of right. loving you without right. expecting for anything in return. And that can sometimes feel a little bit like foreign or out there or hard to fathom or something. But uh, with what you're bringing to mind here about intrinsic value feels like that's a way into that for me, where it's like, mm-hmm. of course, intrinsic living from a place of intrinsic value is... Um, that that is how you are loving others for their own value and right. not about the what are you going to get in return so it sort of makes it accessible to me yeah yeah in a relationship where you you have there's an instrumental focus to it then there's always the question of disappointment oh mm-hmm. well you know this relationship didn't live up to my expectations this other person did this and i wanted them to do that and now there's disappointment yeah. But if you if you love intrinsically, if it's if it's a if it's a give if it's a free will gift with no strings attached, you're hopeful that that love will be received. Yeah. But you've given your gift and and so that's that's where the value is. It's in the intrinsic act of loving that that the true value is. And so that sort of describes, you know, heaven, right? Yes. If we could get there. <laughs> That'd be yes. heavenly. And the other side of it is, you know, when you when you do learn again, this is a long process of discovery with my with my wife. Uh, the more you can learn to just give and not expect, um, guess what? People really respond to that. Right. People, people know the difference. Yes. And and if you if you are trying to seek the the highest of compassion, you know, if you're if you're in the Zen Buddhism aspect, if, if uh, the highest of love, if you're Christian, or you know, uh, being able to find that space of of living in that so the intrinsic world of free will giving because yeah. it's, because it's good. It gets reciprocated, and you end up in a much, much, much better place. Mm. Heaven on earth comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's, an, oh. it's a, and I get, and I think there are there are probably some people that get pretty close. Yes. Mm. Wow. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I have loved it. I wonder if there's any other nuances about this this dynamic between these two values that you'd want to touch on that we haven't yet or anything else that's lingering in your mind about it 
one of the things that I like about sort of this meditative aspect of it is it, it's, a, it's a way of bringing people who are really uncomfortable with spiritual experience. Yes. You know, and religion specifically. And to try and find a way to kind of expand the horizons from from the secular world into something mm -hmm. that allows at least for the, to begin exploring the relationship that we might have with the biggest picture, and that is our relationship with God. Some people don't like that yes. word. I think it's a very useful word, and I think it's a way of, <laughs> you know, getting to some very useful uh, ways of thinking. So, and that, yeah. th that's a way of, you know, again, you go from this little exercise of intrinsic and instrumental, you know, take it all the way, as with any journey, spiritual journey, you take yes. it all the way, and now you're talking about your relationship with God and God's relationship with you, and what a wonderful thing that can be. Mm. Oh, that is beautiful. I feel like that's a beautiful thought to end on. So thank you so much for this conversation. You're welcome. It was a true joy, Chelsea. I love talking with you. George Gantz is a member of the Swedenborg Foundation. I asked him if he could summarize why being a member feels important to him. Here's his two minutes on why he supports our work. I really think the work that the Swedenborg Foundation is doing is really, really, really important. And, and um, I think Swedenborg was a, a prophet and a seer, and um, his spiritual experiences, the way he released them to the world, uh, explained them, and the way it led him to the most coherent and consistent framework for um, a universal religion of, um, uh, you know, based on the teachings of Jesus. Uh, and the Old Testament, you know, all of that grand, grand, wonderful, rich hi wisdom history um, is really like nothing else I've ever seen. Um, he was a man of his times, which meant he used the language and the conceptions and the prevailing, you know, uh, you know, part of that is sort of part of what's in his writing. And what I think is most exciting about the Swedenborg Foundation is the way you're trying to take that and turn it into something that's now translated into modern uh, languages, modern cultures into the way that's accessible to people uh, today. You know, if you want to be a Swedenborg scholar, fine, but that's a lifetime commitment. For most people, you need access points and you need to, the, the ability to just touch touch in in ways that are going to resonate for you. And I think the Swedenborg Foundation is the one organization I know that's both true to the original teachings of Swedenborg and what he represented, but then also turning it into something that's accessible and available to, to people. And it is desperately needed today. So good work. And uh, I look forward to the, the foundation continuing its work. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. Subscribe to Inside Off the Left Eye to never miss when a new episode comes out. 
If you've benefited from the work of the Swedenborg Foundation and value the difference it's making in the world, consider supporting us with a donation or by becoming a member. To give or learn more, go to swedenborg.com slash y-support. And thank you for listening. Thank you.